friend of mine called Jono in Sheffield who started one small group. Basically, God was an, all over him. He was anointed. And, and at its height, they had over 50 small groups in Sheffield. And for a three-year period, they saw a student a week become a Christian. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile with me, Megan Cornwell. This is a show where we delve into a person's life, faith and ministry. Today I'm speaking with Rich Wilson. Rich heads up the student mission movement Fusion, which helps students respond to the call of God and equips churches to support students. Rich has recently published his first book, A Call Less Ordinary, which delves into the theme of recognising God's calling in our lives. Rich, welcome to the show. Thank you, Megan. Great to be with you. So at this time of recording, uh, we're both uh, in full lockdown mode due to the pandemic. Rich, can you just tell us a bit about how life's changed for you? Uh, It's well, it's got local. you know, used to traveling a little bit around the country. Um, both myself, and my wife are in leadership. My wife leads a church and a network of churches called Pioneer. As you said, I'm involved in Fusion. Uh, we've got two daughters. Uh, one is about to turn 17. One has just turned 12. And we're spending a lot more time together. And uh, I think on the whole, we're doing quite well. Um, giving each other space when we need it and uh, going on a few dog walks most days. And um, I think initially we were, we were in the blizzard. We were just adjusting. We were firefighting. We were pivoting. We were doing all the different things that we uh, were trying to do. And now I think we've settled into some good rhythms and um, I wouldn't say we're enjoying it. Um, I think we're probably more tolerating it. It's not our, it's not our, our preference for leadership. We like being around people, but um, at the same time, recognizing there's lots to be learned in this season and trying to learn the lessons of, of things that we might not learn otherwise. Yeah, seeing, the, seeing it as glass half full. <laughs> yes, I think so, yeah. And what about your work with students? How has that been impacted? Well, um, we we felt early on as as lockdown was approaching i felt god speak to us quite clearly about uh, well three things really one was what we sow in this season really matters the other was uh, there's ground to be taken or lost um lots of it not just a little bit and the other was what does it mean to seek first the kingdom probably it, more so than self-protection and, and um, as, we, as we thought about those things, we just felt God was saying to us that student mission isn't on hold. He still wants to reach students. That's why we exist. He's not lifting the mandate offers, not even for a few weeks of lockdown. Uh, and so we basically moved all our training online. Everything went online. It was kind of quite heady the first three weeks. So we ended up doing about 110 training sessions for small groups online initially. Uh, And then we've been kind of working out other bits of strategy for how do we support students? How do we encourage them? How do we speak hope to them? That's been a massive area that I felt very, very strongly. It's been very disorientating and very disappointing for lots of students. So um, 
when we talk about calling, one of the things we'd be saying was, you know, your circumstances have changed, but your calling hasn't. So how do we push into God at this time? And we've been encouraged as well by lots of student responses. We've found that they've been getting bolder in sharing their faith online. Lots of my good news hashtags and small groups have grown and some have multiplied and we've heard of students becoming Christians. So uh, it's been a whole mix, but basically we've, we've kept the whole team on uh, 24 and uh, they've been pretty busy with training and connecting and supporting um, the, you know, people in the student world and, and uh, life stage. Great. And what would you say we have been your sort of highs and lows of lockdown? Uh, the, the lows for me personally have just not been being around some friends face to face. I really miss eating and drinking uh, together with others. You know, we're used to lots of hospitality, lots of, of hanging out. And that's a, that's a human trait that goes back to the beginning that you just can't shake off. So I've really missed that. Um, the highs, I think, are I do sense that God's at work. And um, whilst it's been hugely disruptive, uh, there's been uh, areas for grieving and lament. But at the same time, I, I kind of feel like the, the nation needs to shake a little bit if it's to genuinely turn to God. And, and um, I, I sense there's, a, there's an awakening going on. So I, I guess alongside all the disruption and the pain and the chaos, I see that God is with us. He's present um, and he's wanting to outwork our purposes in our lives and in our nation. Uh, and and that's, um, that's actually filled me with lots of hope. Mm. Yeah. Well, talking about um, hope, uh, can we go back to your story, sort of early years, and look at how you became a Christian and, and talk a little bit about your, your journey to faith? Yes. Yeah. So I, I, was, I was brought up in a home where my mum um, was a Christian, although she had, a, she had an encounter when I was two that basically was a Holy Spirit encounter where I think she got serious in her faith. And my dad was agnostic all the way through to my teenage years, uh, probably my mid-teens, and then he became a Christian then. And I, I for whatever reason, um, had a belief in God. So I think I was always God-fearing. I was always aware of God. I'd pray. Maybe I'd pray quite superstitiously as a child, um, uh, you know, uh, alleviating fears. But there was a sense that God was present. He was real. Um, and I went to church, albeit reluctantly at times. I just didn't really get church. I, I'm much more thankful for my church experience as a child now than I was then. I was kicking against it then. Um, but one of the turning points, there's probably a few turning points, but probably one of the main ones was as a 17-year-old going on a youth weekend away. Uh, I lived in uh, near Manchester and the youth weekend away was in Norfolk and it was a 400-mile round trip. And I thought then, why are we going so far for a weekend? This just seems a bit ridiculous. Why can't we go somewhere closer? Um, but I think with God's economy, it's, it isn't to do with how far we travel or where we end up. It's often to do with the people. And the people we met there were a, a, were a, a Pentecostal couple, couple who were farmers. 
So we ended up staying on this farm with Pentecostal farmers. And, and he was an extraordinary man, a guy called Tony, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And, and really, he was the first person I came across who really explained it to me in a way that I understood. And at the end of this weekend, uh, I went to see him in his lounge. And I can't remember what we talked about, but I remember him praying for me. And I had a profound encounter that I would call an ignition moment in my life where, where the Holy Spirit kind of impacted me and overwhelmed me. And, and I just began to sob and sob and went back to normal life after that, but noticed some changes in me. My hunger for God was greater. My appetite for adventure was beginning to grow and I felt that was connected. Um, so, and then I went to university and, and that was a, a, just a great time to explore um, faith away from home, away from upbringing and away from maybe people's uh, frozen perceptions of me and um, threw myself into to what uh, God was doing at uni with a group of friends. You did sort of sense this growing call to student ministry while you were at university um, in Loughborough. Can you tell us a bit about how that came about? Yeah, so, so at, at, uh, at university, I, I connected with a group of people who had experienced a, basically a mini move of God in their hall of residence. And uh, they were probably the most dynamic group of Christians I'd ever come across. And I was really attracted to them. And, and they really opened up church. I began to fall in love with church in a way that I never had because I realized it was people and it was community and it was people on a mission. And, and I found myself caught up in that. And, and they stayed around to, to plant this church called Open Heaven. And, and I thought, I want to be part of that. I want to join in with that. And as I joined in, and I think as I served them, I discovered that their passion for students, and I was a student at the time, was growing in me. And it began to develop. And it was actually the year after I graduated when I said, you know, I want to stay around and serve this church and be part of it, that I, I had a moment where I thought, this, this feels a bit deeper than just a year out. It feels like, God, you're saying to me things about my generation and I had some fairly heady daydreams at that time about, God, what does it mean to disciple my generation? What does it mean to see a move of God in my generation? And I think probably God began to break my heart for my generation and for students. And it was a student part that stuck. And uh, there was nothing dramatic at, at that moment, but there was a, just a growing and deepening sense that I had a part to play in a bigger student movement. And I had no idea what that was, uh, but was just getting on with it locally. We, we started a couple of student small groups and uh, that was the expression. That was the entirety of it at the time. Well, we'll come on to, a bit, uh, to talk a bit more about that in detail later on. But it struck me as interesting that um, in your book, you talk about Simon Gilbo being part of that cohort. Yes. Uh, He's been interviewed on this on this show, and uh, he obviously went on to do some quite extraordinary things in Burundi. Do you feel that there was some sort of powerful move of God then amongst those people at that time? Um, I, I think it was an interesting group of people uh, who were fired up for God, and they fired up each other, and they spurred on each other. And they were on one level, they were all quite different. But what we had in common was this passion for for Jesus and this passion for mission. Uh, and 
I don't know if we recognized it at the time, uh, but it is interesting to see where people have gone since and stay in contact with a few people. And Simon is one of the people I'm still in close contact with. And, um, and our time at university was very, very formative. And um, I think it was for a, a number of people in that group who, who've gone on to uh, lead churches and lead in other parts of society. Um, yeah, time will tell. This is, this is the fun thing with student mission is we plant seeds in student lives and we don't really know what happens. And one day we will find out. But uh, that's the faithful piece, I think, is just... Uh, doing what's in front of us and uh, trusting that God joins dots that maybe we don't even know exist. But sometimes we get to get a look in for some things and, and journeying with Simon has been a great pleasure. And you've been working for Fusion for 25 years, Rich. How, tell us a bit about how, it, how the movement started. Uh, it's just under 25 years. It started um, with, a, with a group of people from across different churches, denominations, networks, having a growing sense that more was needed because the student mission field was growing. It wasn't that there wasn't good work going on, but student numbers had increased 700%, but there wasn't a, a corresponding increase in, in mission. Uh, and one thing that was certainly missing was local church involvement. Uh, so, so there was a sense from churches and church leaders that maybe there's, there's room and space for some other uh, models of mission in the university. And so we started with a small group model um, across, you know, fusion really was a fusion of, of church unity and different groups of people coming together who formed some of the core leadership team. Uh, and it was an idea that, that was untested. And I guess I was involved in testing the idea of will this work? Uh, so it was, it was in 1998 that I started um, working with Fusion full time. I was in contact with them during their launch year in 1997, 98. Um, and we really wanted to take this idea of small groups and the power of small groups um, and, and, and students on a, on a mission together, what could happen if they got fired up and lots of precedent from history. So draw, drawing a lot on some of the Wesleyan awakening and how he put people in small groups and how uh, important that was to people's discipleship and uh, for movement in the nation and change in the nation. And that was some of the inspiration. So um, it was kind of heady days. We didn't really know what we were doing. All we knew was that we've got some, some core ingredients of faith and a bit of fire and some enthusiasm and a, and a structure for doing small groups that students could easily adopt and take on. Uh, and my role really was just to go around and, and to champion that and to do lots of training. So I probably spent the first eight years just training small groups um, and, and traveling wherever there was interest. And sometimes there wasn't much interest, um, but it, 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 over the first few years, things did seem to happen. That was quite an extraordinary time looking back. Can you share some of the stories of some of the um, sort of powerful things that happened and, and the impact that those small groups had in their, in their universities and among their, amongst their communities? Yes, yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it's only in writing the book that I, 
got to reflect more deeply. And at the time, I wasn't really aware of what was going on. I was just going with it. But looking back, I think there was something of a bit of a move of the spirits across the universities in these small groups. Uh, some of the, the multiplication of them was extraordinary. So I write about a friend of mine called John O in Sheffield who started one small group and uh, ended up being on the fusion team and working alongside me because basically God was an, all over him. He was anointed. And, and at its height, they had over 50 small groups in Sheffield. And for a three-year period, they saw a student a week become a Christian. I mean, it was quite remarkable. Um, and then in other places, I mean, in, in St. Andrews, um, Olu, a Nigerian student, uh, started a, a small group with the backing of a church leader. It multiplied. But then the following year, it multiplied into nine small groups. And they ended up planting a church called Revolution that would meet in the back of a pub. And it was student-led, supported by this local church. And really what we noticed was things was bubbling all over the country. There was a real energy about it. Um, Liverpool was another one another hot spot where things were multiplying fast and what where we found it was was often working best was where local leaders were saying to students you know what we've got your back here we want to support you uh, and that probably led to some of the future change and transition oxford was another one um i, I remember very clearly going to oxford and talking to some of the the leaders and the students of a particular church and we, we shared the vision with great enthusiasm. And then the meeting kind of fell a little bit flat. And the students kind of were, were saying, oh, but this is Oxford. Nothing really changes here. We can't really imagine that happening. And then there was this strange power cut in the building. Um, and, and, and that changed the atmosphere. But it also changed the spiritual atmosphere. And these same students then began to pray and to speak out and to prophesy from the Psalms and Isaiah about things changing and, and ancient gates opening up and things happening. And again, there was a real movement of the spirit in Oxford. Uh, and I think it was broader than just us, but um, we, we were noticing it was some of the churches we were working with. Um, uh, and, and in contacting some of the leaders at the time, uh, particularly a guy called Duncan Pobbery in Newcastle, I remember doing some training with them really early on, maybe 1999. And uh, it was about 15 years later, he said, you know, out of those 12 people who were involved in that small group, that initial small group up there, 11 of, 11 of them are now in full-time church leadership. Mm -hmm. So we really didn't know what we were doing. We were just doing what was in front of us. We were, I guess, being uh, obedient and taking the opportunities that were there, not really knowing what seeds were being sown, but God was calling people and igniting people. And I think that was the other encouraging thing looking back was um, it was a, a seedbed for people's callings and passions to be ignited. And lots of people have gone on into all kinds of areas of society from those small groups. And most people, I, I've got no idea where they are, but I get to hear the odd story every now and again. Uh, and I think that's the potential of the church, isn't it? It's not just us, it's, it's what happens. But particularly with students, if they can get hold of what God um, has for them, or at least decide, you know what, the best thing for me is to orientate my entire life around God's purposes. That is the way to a fulfilling and fruitful life. 
and it's and often it starts at university often it starts in young adulthood when there's a bit more freedom to make decisions and to and to live with the consequences of those but um yeah to really make those decisions for themselves yeah and rich you're uh, passionate about linking up these student groups with the local church and you and your wife are leaders at um open heaven yes uh which is, which is a student-led church as i understand it it started that way so uh when we were when we were leading it in our 20s and just married we were the only married people in the church for a season the other married couple we sent off to africa uh, and that meant we were the only married couple and we were about 100. It's a, it was 98% single <laughs> and, uh, and one married couple. And, and the demographic was 18 to 28. That was, the, that was we, how we were for a while. Since then, we have uh, evolved. We've grown. We've now got three expressions. We've got an all-age expression. We've got an international expression. And we've still got a what we call an 18 to 30s expression, uh, that anyone's welcome at, but the, t- the target is is more towards students and recent graduates. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we've grown up uh, as as time's gone on, but we've remained we we've maintained our student focus. We're passionate still about the university uh, and about students. And what about this sort of the three year turnaround? You know, with students being at university, well, generally three to four years. Do you have, do you find that sort of you lose momentum when that cohort then moves on how do, you, how do you ensure that those kinds of skills and the training that you've invested in is then passed down to the next generation of, of christians entering the, the the christian union yeah well it's um yeah, i mean it's a bit like groundhog day each year you know every september october there's an opportunity for christian students to find churches and there's uh, an opportunity to, to also welcome all students to the city and the town and i think it's that that's where we want to move the agenda in the uk is that we've got this huge mission field yes we want christian students to connect but also there's this this huge mission field that churches need to engage in more more broadly um i, I think because it's, there's a sense of calling, because we've tapped into something of God's mission to students, the, there's an energy and a grace to keep going. Uh, and so we've had student workers in place probably for the last 15 or 16 years. And we've uh, kept working with them. And often they'll be in post for three to four years. And so there's some knowledge that keeps uh, recycling from student worker to student worker and generation to generation. But each year group um, that comes in almost needs special attention and grounding and readiness. And similarly, when they graduate, we make a really big deal of their graduation. And and this year is a tough one because they're graduating without the fanfare at university. And we're working out how do we make a big deal as churches who've journeyed with the students, but they're not around to celebrate. But um, in previous years, we've done a lot in terms of the prep for graduation and almost a commissioning. So some students may stay in the area and stay as part of church, but often the majority will go and we want to send them. You know, they don't belong to us. They belong to Jesus. They're part of his kingdom plans. And so the best thing that we can do as a local church is, is commission them, pray for them, prophesy over them, and, um, and speak real hope into them for their future. And that includes this year's year of um, graduates who... For many, I think they're thinking, well, what opportunities are there? But um, 
like we mentioned before, the circumstances have changed radically, but I believe the call of God in their lives hasn't changed. And if they, if they can find a way of pushing into God and, and allowing him to reframe uh, maybe their disappointments, uh, like, like Jesus did on the road to Emmaus, he reframed the disappointment of those disciples and they came away warmed and with hope. That's what I kind of feel we need to do with mm. this year's graduates. Mm. And turning now to talk about your book, Rich, can you just describe a bit about what motivated you to write A Call Less Ordinary? Um, I, I think probably it's been 25 years of working with students and seeing the potential in them and seeing the call of God on their lives. And at the same time, calling being something that is emotive and a little bit mysterious for lots of young adults and, and, and actually older adults. What's my calling is a, is, a, is a question that gets asked fairly regularly in the Christian world. Uh, and so wanted to try and uh, through story and through my own experience, share some ups and downs that I felt I'd learned. And I remember sitting at my desk um, probably four and a half years ago now thinking, uh, I've learned some fairly big life lessons. And if I don't write them down, I'm never going to share them effectively. And, and I felt at that point that God mandated me to begin to write. And I didn't write with a view of actually publishing a book. I just wrote because I felt I needed to get some things out and, and put them on paper. And it, and it ended up obviously as, as a cordless ordinary. Um, but it was really to, to give, um, particularly students and young, young adults, a frame of reference for the journey of calling, that it doesn't happen all at once. Sometimes it's confusing, but there are some pathways that God has for us and there's some principles that we lay hold of that means that we can have a fulfilling and a fruit, fruitful life. And even the difficult points in our life that will surely come, God will use those as well. Mm -hmm. um, so in some way wanting to prepare them for the life of calling for the 40 years of work and ministry that lies ahead um, and, and give them a few maybe tools and ideas for how they might process some of the bumps in the road uh, maybe the little bumps and the big bumps that are different from each of us but there's maybe some common principles uh, to apply Premier Christianity magazine are you fed up with fake news or bored of bad stories? We think it's time for something different. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. Every month, our team publishes stories of lives transformed, testimonies, miracles, healings, and loads more good news. We're here to encourage you, excite you, and keep you up to date with all that God is doing through his church. That's why we're proud to bring you a magazine that's different. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. And you talk in the book about these ignition moments. Can you just describe what you mean by that? Yeah, I, I think um, not everybody has them in the Well, actually, no one has them in exactly the same way. But often there are times in our Christian walk where we find ourselves encountering God in a unique way sometimes that's accompanied with feelings you know so John Wesley has this phrase uh, when he was at Aldersgate I was he was strangely warmed you know and the disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't our hearts burn within us 
I found myself sobbing, but I just knew it wasn't just my tears. It was God on me and through me. It was more than just my emotion coming out. And, and I guess it's, it's moments where we feel what, that we are maybe closer to God than we've known before. Or maybe we have known it before, but it's just not that often. They're quite rare, um, but they're not as rare as we might imagine. And maybe most of us can point to at least one moment where we've, we've had some sort of encounter. And it might be we're on our own or it might be in a, a church gathering or a conference or something. Um, but it's where we felt something of God noticing us and impressing something on us that he's noticed us. And probably if we're to reflect on it, probably something of his calling on our lives, even though we might not be able to articulate the specifics of that. We just know that we belong to Jesus and we, we know that we belong to him and he's got us. Um, uh, and, and we can't manufacture those things, but we can be open to them. We can be open to God meeting us. And uh, actually deep down, I think that's what lots of us crave, not just as a one-off, but we, we crave an intimacy with God. But sometimes he, he just does that a little bit more and it, it shapes us and it defines us. So that was true for me. And I know it's true for, for lots of people, but I also know that others maybe haven't had that and it's been more of a slow burn. Mm. Um, yeah, I was struck in your book when you talked about um, a particularly difficult time, and we'll come on to that in a minute, but your response to it was to sort of swear at God, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. But you sort of felt completely comfortable with that because you, you, you sort of describe it as being known by God and, and God knew what you were going through. And I guess it struck me that you are somebody that has an intimacy with God and that's important to you in a friendship with God. Um, and I think a lot of people struggle with, with seeing God as a, as a judging God or as a harsh God. How have you developed that intimacy with God over the years? Slowly. <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, I think our, our life experience shapes us, our parenting shapes us, um, our own decisions shape us, the wise ones, the foolish ones. But God is so committed to us. And if we dare to participate with him, um, I, I think we, we find ourselves getting drawn into, um, I think, a place of fullness that maybe I, I wouldn't have imagined. So, so I, 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 I talk quite candidly about some of the ups and downs in the book, but I have to say now, I feel much more at peace with myself than I, I've ever felt. I feel more joyful, not that life is always full of um, it's not, not, not removed from hard things. There's some really tough things going on in life right now. But at the same time, I think because there's been a, a depth of relationship cultivated and it's been up and down, it's been on and off. I'm not, I'm not brilliant at discipline. I'm not brilliant at, um, at sometimes making those important small choices. But I think I've made enough of them over my life that I'm living in the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. And that's my encouragement. And my encouragement is... If at first it doesn't seem to be working, persevere. God is, God is noble and he's more interested in us and the detail of our lives than we realize. Mm -hmm. and, and he's much more interested in, in things that maybe aren't recognized or celebrated in culture. We sometimes think to be successful as a Christian, we need to be known and recognized and have obvious fruits. But I don't think God's metrics are the same. He's, he's really interested in just how we, we tick and he delights 
in us, in our idiosyncrasies, in our, you know, in our quirkiness, in who we are. And um, it takes, I think that's a bit of a revelation that, that needs to happen in our, in our hearts and our heads. But, um, and it's unfolding, you know, we never arrive. I've not arrived by any means. I am mm -hmm. absolutely on the journey. And I think in that sense, the work with students is mirrored in our own lives, that we remain students our whole lives. He is the teacher. We are the students. And um, we're, we're called to be lifelong learners. Um, but, but I wanted to share my experience to give, again, people hope that this, this is lived experience uh, and it works. I've taken the words of Jesus. I've taken the words of scripture. I've applied them. I found them to be true. And, and I'm just one of millions of testimonies. You know, we've all got those stories, but I think particularly for the generation coming through and maybe for, for non-Christians as well, who are, who are curious and reading things that um, th these stories add up. And so that's, that's the power of our lives, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. Well, I was really struck and impressed by, um, some of the stories that you shared in your book, Rich, particularly the very, very painful ones around um, the death of your son, um, your newborn son, mm. um, and and the, the the health problems that your daughter went through. Yeah. And, and I thought, as we as I was reading reading through, I, I actually felt very moved moved by them. Um, but I thought, gosh, this was very brave to do. You know, you could have easily left these sections out of a book around calling. You didn't necessarily mm. have to leave those parts in. Um, can you just share a bit about why you felt they, they, they were important to include in the book? Yes, Megan. It's, uh, and um, I, I am, I'm quite a private person. So this, was, this was, didn't come naturally to me to want to put myself out there. And so, so consequently, the book was written over over three and a half years it was written prayerfully and carefully and I wanted to make sure that what was written was things that I was happy with being out there um, and I do think God helped me in this so you know one of the things I felt God speak to me was about um, pouring my life out as an offering because that's what he did for us so I I didn't feel I had any right to hold anything back uh, particularly holding back stuff where um, I might have some things that would be helpful to others that others could take comfort in or learn from. And whilst the specifics of that journey of Josiah and his, his um, death and uh, other things that happen um, are unique to me and very unlikely to happen to many people. I think the common things of, of we all have things to grieve in our lives and we all have things that come our way that we didn't choose that we have to deal with. So how are we going to navigate those? And, and where is God when, when life takes a turn in the road that you never wanted and you didn't see coming? Um, and, and I don't claim to have the answers, as you know, if you read the chapters, I don't have the answers. But, there, but in terms of pushing into God, that is part of the answer. Um, and, I, think really came, I think that really came across in in the book you know it was it was amazing to see the way that you learned so much more about God through those very very painful times do you want to share a bit a bit more about what you learned about the nature of God through those moments um I, it's, I mean it's things that I'm still learning as well but I, I think it was that um in, in the deepest moments of pain and grief and moments in life that I couldn't really have imagined going through 
in reaching out to God, I found that he was present. So amongst a million questions of why, um, the answers were not ever going to be articulated in a way that I could write down in a book. But somehow I found some answers in his presence. Mm -hmm. So the Bible talks about how God draws close to the brokenhearted. And that's just good news for all of us because uh, there's times when we're all uh, feeling more broken um, in life than at other times. And maybe this is one of those times with what's happening at different levels in, in our culture and society. And the good news is he comes close. And if we dare to kind of enter into that space, um, Parker Palmer calls them uh, winters, where if we dare to enter into them, we will find that that God will meet us there. And um, I think that was the encouragement that, that to try and go a different route, to try and um, resist the pain was not going to work. So, 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 I mean, I'm not an expert on grief, but I, I felt w with the help of friends and the help of reading books and the help of the Holy Spirit, that grief was a journey to be fully embraced in order to walk through it. And in doing that, maybe encountering some things in God that I couldn't have imagined. So Isaiah talks about there being treasure in the darkness. And um, I certainly found that. I certainly found that in, in, in inviting God into the hardest and darkest places, uh, that there was treasure there, that there, there was his presence there, that there was learning there. And there was probably the beginning of healing there. Uh, uh, and, and it's a funny thing to have both pain and presence screaming at the same time, but that was what was going on. Um, and I think that's why there's hope. Uh, so, so for whatever situation we find ourselves in and, and suffering is a sliding scale for people, we all suffer in different ways, but God wants to come into our suffering, whatever that might be. Um, and, and if we dare to invite him, we might not feel anything in the moment, but um, over time, uh, with kind of repeated turns to God, I think it changes us, it transforms us. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think for me, for me and for, for anyone really, I think it's probably the, one of the number one discipleship questions is what do we do with our pain? Because I think our pain, depending on how we deal with it, can either make us better or it can make us bitter. You know, if, if we bury it or, or don't face it, that, that's a much bigger problem for us. So, so the encouragement, even though it's more painful or it feels more painful at the time, to face it is the healthy thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also transforming in a, in a, in a positive way. Mm -hmm. um, you had a, a quite profound um, experience with God, didn't you? Sometime after the, the very sad and tragic death of your son, a very unusual spiritual experience involving him as, as an older man. Yes. Uh, can you just describe that, uh, what, exactly what happened? Yes. So, so this was a huge surprise to me. Um, uh, it was it was an unwanted trip down to Leicester. So I'm based in Loughborough, and I had to travel to Leicester to register his birth and his death at the same time. And on the journey, as I was going uh, down the Saw Valley, um, I don't remember much of the journey because I kind of had this this vision of him in heaven, not as a baby anymore, but as a young man. 
really radiant, really healthy, really strong. Um, stuff maybe that I kind of discerned was in his spirit when I was in the hospital, thinking there's more to you. Um, and then I was seeing it in a physical form. And it, it, it surprised me and delighted me and made me bore my eyes out. Um, and it was just a very, very profound experience. And I just think it was part of the kindness of God in the whole thing that he was letting me have a little glimpse. And, and it's, it's there in scripture, you know, the hope of resurrection. That's the Christian hope. The Christian hope isn't about just we, we get to live a slightly better life here on earth, you know, and whatever, whatever. It's a genuine hope that one day God will set everything right you know, there's a justice in God. We never, we're never going to see this side of heaven. There's a healing in God. We're never going to see this side of heaven. But he's got that in store for us. And it's, it's, the, it's what the early church preached most about. Um, you know, it's, it's the gospel of the kingdom has this resurrection peace. And we don't talk about it a great deal in our churches, even though Tom Wright has written Surprised by Hope. And it's, I think it's becoming more... Um, mainstream if i can say that we celebrate it every easter but it's it's actually part of the, the gospel all year round um and then there's a book called imagine heaven that i only read a few months ago uh, and i'm quite pleased i only read that book after writing the writing my book because there were stories in that book that were very similar to my experience and um, i was kind of pleased i wasn't influenced by those and then I had a letter from, from someone the other day who'd read my book and said, I, I actually had the same experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so whilst they're not common, I think it's God's kindness giving us a glimpse that, that there's more and we still have to go through the grieving and we still have to go through the pain. Uh, but there, there is this hope, this mm-hmm. hope of resurrection, this hope of heaven. Um, and, uh, and then I got this remarkable letter as well. Oh yeah, that, the prophetic letter. That was very, very, <laughs> I was uh, really shocked when I read about that. <laughs> yeah, and I was shocked when I received it. And that was, that was six months later on where a very prophetic lady handed me the most remarkable letter of a dream she'd had where she described meeting my son Josiah as a man in heaven. And um, So it just really confirmed to you? Yes, it was, so, it was confirming, it was affirming, it was deeply humbling it's and it was another thing of god you know me you know you you know me you see me you see my heart you see the end from the beginning um yeah remarkable mm. remarkable and did did having that sort of glimpse of what heaven could be like has that has that changed your uh, perspective towards your your ministry and your work here on earth I think I think it has. I think again, it's not instant. I think it's a slow it's a slow burn for both Ness and I. Actually, Ness is probably further along than I am in terms of her understanding of heaven and her longing for heaven, whilst at the same time being fully involved in what we're doing today in the present. Um, yeah, it's a growing thing, and I think maybe, and I'm hoping it will grow even more as I get older. You know, we know we know, none of us know uh, how long we've got, um, but I'm hoping I've got a bit longer. But I'm also hoping that revelation and that expectancy of heaven will grow as I grow older. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a genuine hope, um, 
And we do reflect there's, there's nothing we trade. I think that it's, it's big enough to know there's nothing we trade in this life right now for, for Jesus, just putting everything right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it's an unfolding, um, deepening sense of God's goodness and what he's got for us. And just to go back again to your, to, to your work around calling and, and your own, your own work with fusion, Rich, um, you've been there for nearly 25 years. How do you sort of stay motivated in the sort of same calling day in, day out? What would you um, do to others in a similar situation? <laughs> um, I'm not motivated every day. <laughs> I think, I, I think as someone who gets bored quite easily, I'm a little bit staggered by the fact that I'm still here, but I, I had a moment in my twenties where I, where, where I did feel like God was asking me to give um, four decades to this work. Now I, I've not held that over me and that might not still be true, but it's, I'm two and a half decades in. Um, and I just think there's a grace for it. I think that's the thing with life. Often there's, I see people doing re- remarkable things in all kinds of walks of life. And I think, how can you do that? Um, how are you motivated to do that? How do you keep going in that? And I think probably they've got a grace for it because it's something of what they're wired for and what they're called for. Uh, and I can only describe that as being true for me. And, and the challenge is to keep investing, to keep making good decisions, small decisions, daily decisions. I don't want to, I think as I, I'm now in my mid forties, there's definitely a temptation um, maybe to take my foot off the gas, um, to, to kind of cruise, to live off the experience gained. Um, but I'm also really aware that what I sow now and what I sow in this decade, I'll reap in the next decade. And, and uh, I, I want to keep being the learner, the students, and I, I, I want to be more fruitful. I want life to be more fruitful in God, whether that's measurable on the outside to other people or not. Mm. So that's the motivation. And I think the other one is just for work in general, I've just always had a sense that my primary employer is, is Jesus and that he's watching. And it doesn't mean I do everything right. It doesn't mean I'm always disciplined. But on the whole, I live with a sense that I'm accountable to, to him for what I do with my time mm. and uh, my work. And um, we don't always, you know, it's funny, we don't always feel like we uh, are the right people for the job. Uh, sometimes we have the the imposter syndrome. I think that happens to leaders much more than they admit. But ultimately, um, I, I've, I've not got a plan B or, or um, an exit strategy until, you know, God reveals it. So I, I think that's it. And, and, and the big thing I put in the book as well is, Try not to compare, you know, God's got a race for each of us to run. And it's really important we, we run our race and we, we run it with others and we cheer other people on. But we aren't looking and thinking, oh, you know, I need to be doing that like that leader or doing that like that leader. Uh, we can be inspired by them, but the comparison thing, I'm hoping that's disappearing more in the church as we're learning how to be one body working together for god's kingdom but it doesn't mean there isn't a you know a few inattentions and social media highlights that hugely so we've got to work hard at that mm. you talked um, earlier about some of the moves of the spirit that you've seen in the past at certain universities are you seeing currently in 2020 any particular 
um, universities that are sort of there's something exciting happening? I wouldn't say there's anything dramatic. You know, I love the revival history of the, the Hebrides and other things where there's dramatic moves of God. And I, I'd love that to happen. Um, but it's not going to stop us um, keeping going. What I think I'm seeing is a rising, rising sea level of faith and interest and confidence in the gospel. That was a big question a few years ago. Where's the confidence in the gospel? Well, I'm seeing it increase. Uh, so I think there's signs there, even if there's not um, a kind of a giddiness with um, lots of people becoming Christians um, in, in gatherings night after night or week after week. But there does seem to be a steady stream of salvation in the universities and the churches we're working with. Um, so that no one can really take credit because it's not uh, there's not a hot spot at the moment that, that might emerge but it does seem like God is readying the church and readying the student generation uh, for more. And um, I'm certainly very, very expecting going into this next academic year uh, with all the, all the uncertainty that, that actually we will advance, that student mission will move forward, that a lot more of this generation will turn to faith. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and it would be nice to have some hot spots that we can be inspired by, but there are lots of stories coming through uh, of students finding faith. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm expecting the tide to rise further. Mm. And what about opposition to the gospel, Rich, in, on, on campuses? You know, every now and, now and again, we hear stories about um, Christian unions not being allowed to, to be at the Freshers' Fair and things like that. Are you, can you explain a bit about what's going on on that front? Um, yeah, so I think that the, the universities are secular institutions, so they don't necessarily owe us anything. And I think where there's been religious fundamentalism and, and things with recent world events, that there's been a nervousness about all religion on campus. Mm -hmm. And then there's also been a liberal agenda that actually it's just not needed. I'm thinking maybe that's diminishing again. I think there's other, I think there's more subtle opposition than just silencing. I think that, you know, there is, there has been a free speech issue and it's not just been Christians who've been at the, the sharp end of that. Actually, lots of people have been banned from platforms and, and, and most of the people I've heard have been banned from platforms have not been Christians. So it's not a persecution thing just for Christians. Um, so I think there is, there is, barriers and obstacles to overcome but I think the way we live and what we model and how we love our neighbour um, is going to speak volumes and th there may well be some new opposition coming through over the coming months and years um, and I think we can expect that if we see the spirit begin to move a little bit more um, but some of the biggest barriers I, I think have just been the cultural ones the distraction um, the competing for, for bandwidth with entertainment and busyness and Netflix and social media. Uh, I think they are much, much more challenging than, than maybe a few people saying, oh, you can't say this here or there. Mm. Um, yeah. and do you have a message for the, the, the graduates this year who are maybe coming out into the world for the first time and thinking even more so than perhaps previous years, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. The, the economy is <laughs> probably going to tank. What on earth am I going to do? 
Uh, yes, I do. I, I'm not sure how well I can articulate it here because I've, I've, I've been praying over this in recent weeks. I've written a letter to the class of 2020 because I felt God wanted to encourage the, the, this year's graduates. So that's on, on the Fusion site and it's on a few other sites. Um, but basically it is one of hope. Um, you know, there might not be the immediate opportunities, but God has plans for you and they are good. And there's things to be learnt through challenge and through difficulty and through this next season that will be important for what your future holds and for what God has for you. So um, I think it is a case of uh, speaking hope and encouragement to this year's graduates and saying, do something, you know, even if you can't find find the job you want or maybe indeed any job, find someone to serve do something, get up each time, start your day by opening the Bible, commit your ways to God, open your hands and say, God, establish the work of my hands. I don't know what to do with my hands today or this year, but God, establish the work of my hands uh, and pray it consistently. I went through that phase for about a year and a half before starting with Fusion. And, and, and every now and again, I still pray. I still get stuck in the role I'm in and I pray this by God establish the work of my hands uh, and he will do that um, he can be trusted with our future he has good things for us um, but he might not take us on the most direct route or the route we'd hoped we were going to take um, <laughs> but that route will be full of things that will be helpful and useful for us and um, yeah so I am I'm actually quite excited by what what will get formed as this generation grab hold of God and, and choose, choose him at this time. Mm. I'm quite excited by what they're going to do, even though it's not obvious or maybe apparent at the moment. But I think the history books will tell us that those who are graduating at this time and maybe starting university at this time, are, I believe God is going to be charging them with some unique kingdom tasks and missions. Mm. Um, uh, and, and as an older leader, I want to just encourage them. And finally, are you seeing students embracing uh, some of the technologies that, that, that we've been embracing during this pandemic um, in order to do things a bit differently? So are you, are you seeing any kind of interesting ways that students are reaching out and evangelizing um, despite the fact that they're restricted uh, in, in their movements and, and uh, restricted by lockdown? Yes, I mean, it's, it's second nature to, to lots of them as to how to use it. But what, what I have noticed is, is the increase in boldness and how they, um, you know, there was a group of students who are connected with, with the church here and they had a hashtag, my good news. And they were basically putting uh, a two minutes, uh, it might have been a song, a poem, a short film, basically just showing my good news, why, why Jesus is good news to them really innovative really bold and 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 getting lots of curiosity and interest you know whilst some of them had to swallow quite hard and go this this feels like a bit of a stretch putting myself out there i think all of them would say they had so much positive feedback and, and some great questions from friends who weren't christians but were interested and then others have been running small groups online inviting their friends into that running alpha online and so there has been a whole load of activity and they 
you know, lots of them have been making the most of it and we've been encouraging them to do that. Uh, and long may it continue. Mm, amen. Well, Richard, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you today. Thanks ever so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Megan. Really good to chat with you as well. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. But join us next week at the same time to hear more stories and wisdom from Christian leaders around the world.